everybody. You know what this is. It's the Everybody Trades Podcast. And you know who I am. I'm John Miller, your young, virile, and virtuous <laughs> host, and the guy who's just throwing adjectives out there because they sound good. Anyway, with that ridiculous introduction out of the way, before we get to our usual show, which of course... You've come here to today expecting lots of Jenner and Kardashian talk, as per usual, right? Well, before we get to that, let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, it's Netflix. The one stock I've been pumping on here pretty consistently the last three episodes, and boy, it looked good at first, didn't it? I had See, what happened was I had a nice gain in Netflix very quickly. In fact, if you follow me at everybodytrades.com or on Twitter, hopefully both, really more importantly, the everybodytrades.com trading blog, you'll know that I had a quick 5% gain the first day, well, the first day after I bought Netflix. It was a really, really good move for a period there. So about $400 or so after I bought it, 380 Then it went to 420 and I'm thinking, hey, looking even better. Should I, should I, unfortunately I thought, should I look a gift horse in the mouth here? I, I thought maybe I should just trade the thing, get out of it. It's gone up so quickly, but Netflix is a high-quality company in my opinion, so I thought, Oh, hell yeah, let it ride! Let it ride! Yeah. And in the process of letting it ride, unfortunately, as you all know, eventually... And it's gone! Yes, it's all gone now. But actually, there's some good news to go along with this bad news, too. Because... Netflix traded down as much as at about 350, as much as 14% in after hours following the release of its earnings on Monday. And I'll tell you, I genuinely lost some sleep about that because I've been pumping this stock a good bit and I just felt really, really stupid. And not only that, not only just my ego, I thought, gosh, do I have, do I have some listeners here who may have gotten hurt in this? And I even had uh, a good friend, J.D. Birdies, tweeted me and said, whoa, yikes, what's up with this one, uh, essentially? And hey, I believe me, I was thinking the exact same thing. The deal is, I'm really glad that I didn't panic now. Because that day, Netflix, as it traded in, in after hours, it opened the next day down about 14% as well. But after actually combing through and analyzing Netflix's quarter, really looking at the transcript of its conference call, it became clear to me that Netflix's biggest mistake was that it overforecasted its own subscriber growth worldwide. So, lest you think that a down 14% stock meant that Netflix is going out of business or suddenly is suddenly losing tons of money or has no no uh, subscriber base, you'd be wrong. What happened is they forecasted, this was Netflix's own guidance, they forecasted that they were going to grow their subscriber base by 6 million people in the previous quarter. What happened is they did grow their subscriber base by 5 million people, which sounds like a lot, right? Doesn't sound like a business that's near collapse. But... This is how Netflix trades. It trades almost exclusively on its quarter-to-quarter subscriber-based growth. And we have seen before that occasionally Netflix will overshoot its guidance a little bit. But in the past, this has always been a buying opportunity. 
And I think what we saw is throughout the trading day on Tuesday, as I talked to you on Wednesday, people realized what I realized, that, okay, this isn't a broken company. This may be a broken stock for the moment, but in fact, like I just said, this has always been an, an opportunity before. And if you really look into the quarter, you'll notice that Netflix expanded its margins, which means that they're able to expand the prices that they're able to charge, and they're still getting, they're getting more of a profit margin out of each dollar that they're spending. This is an excellent, excellent thing for any business. So while the miss in the quarter is clearly not ideal, and clearly I was wrong, let's put it that way. I, I wish I would have, I, <laughs> having the total benefit of hindsight, I wish I would have taken my own advice and not looked a gift horse in the mouth and just take the quick gain. I've often found with my experience that there's an old adage that you're never, you're never supposed to to uh, turn a trade into an investment, which means that if you're in it for a short period and you hit your price target, just get out. Don't then suddenly change your mind and say, oh, I'm just going to keep riding it forever. Oh, hell yeah. Let it ride. Let it ride. Now, if you've seen that particular episode of South Park, you know how the let it ride eventually plays out for the good people of South Park. I know. I know. God. Yes, that's right. They go bust. Eventually, when you let it ride on the blackjack table, the roulette table, whatever it is, you are going to go bust eventually. Stan, okay? What? All right, Stan, okay? So the point is, while I made a good buy, I didn't make a great sell. And, and flipping the old tr- the old adage there, never turn a, turn a trade into an investment, I found it actually is okay to sometimes turn an investment into a trade. And that's really what I should have done with Netflix because I'm still staying in Netflix. I'm not panicking out. I haven't sold a single share. And if again, if you follow me at everybodytrades.com, you're well aware of this fact. The point I'm trying to make is it is okay to sometimes turn an investment into a trade. If you bought something for the long term and for whatever reason it happens to just shoot up really fast in a day or two, again, it's okay to just say, hey, I got lucky here. Maybe I should just take this gain really quick and maybe buy it back as it comes back in, hopefully. Take your wife out for a nice dinner. Take your husband out for a nice dinner. Whatever it is you need, you want to do, treat yourself. My point is, is Let's not get greedy. Anytime It's okay to hit singles in this game sometimes. You don't always have to hit a home run. And I had a really, really easy single. The guy just lobbed me a softball over the plate. And instead of taking my base and hitting it to the opposite side of the field, I tried to muscle up and hit it over the plate. Problem is, if you've seen me play softball, I only have warning track power. So it didn't work out. All right, I may have mangled my analogies a little bit here. But I think you get the point. And with that, let's transfer to the reason you're really here. Kylie Jenner talk. Yes, that's what the Everybody Trades podcast is known for. So by golly, you're going to get it right now. How excited are you guys right now? (coughs) Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, come on. You know I'm going to make it interesting, so settle down. Everything's going to be just fine. So if you're not aware, the controversy, as it were, is about Miss Kylie Jenner, who is the youngest of the 
the Jenner Kardashian clan, as far as I can tell. I think she's about 19, 20 years old, I believe. I don't have the story right in front of me. But basically, her estimated net worth is about, I believe it was in Forbes, I could be wrong, but her estimated net worth is about $900 million, putting her on track to be the world's youngest, and as the the piece called it, and this is what rubbed people the wrong way, the youngest, quote, self-made billionaire of all time, basically beating out Mark Zuckerberg. Now, I think it's, I, I'm frankly amused that, that the, the self-made part is what ruffled people's feathers the wrong way. First of all, let's just address the idea of being self-made. Is any person on this planet truly, can they honestly say they are truly 100% self-made? Of course not. Because every single one of us is born helpless little babies that need to be raised, that need to be reared by someone. That's why any time a sports player wins an MVP or an actor wins an Oscar, they've always got a list of people they want to thank. It's because obviously there are people that influence you, that have helped you along the way, that have encouraged you, that have taught you, that have even given you a little tough love when you needed it. And these indeed are the people that we should thank, and these are the people that have helped ourselves along the way. Now, obviously, many people think the whole Kardashian-Jenner sort of universe, that it's incredible that it's been, the the television show, first of all, has not only been going on for 11 years, but they have such a line of products and brands in the beauty beauty and style uh, hemisphere that, obviously, Kylie Jenner is literally about to become a billionaire. And this just blows people's minds. They're like, what? This just this makes our culture stupid. And oh, how, how dare these people? Well, that's the thing. Direct your ire toward the consumer if the following is true. Did Kylie Jenner steal her money from anybody? Did Kylie Jenner force you to buy her cosmetics? Did Kylie Jenner force anybody to buy her handbags or any of her other, any, whatever other products she or any of the Kardashians for that matter, including the television show, did anybody put a gun to your head to watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians? Does your DirecTV box automatically tune to E! Entertainment or force you to DVR that particular show? No, it does not. So therefore, Kylie Jenner has obviously gotten rich by people voluntarily giving her and her family money in exchange for products that they like. So in other words, the Jenners, the Kardashians, have gotten rich providing consumers products that they desire. Now when it comes to actual values, I'm right with all the people who say that the Kardashian thing is impossible to comprehend. It's, it's just, to me, it's a bunch of vacuous people talking about nothing, as far as I can tell. How this has now parlayed itself into a multi-billion dollar business is really beyond my ability to totally understand. Except for the fact that there are people out there that have different values than me. So, oh, then it does make sense, okay? If you just realize that all values are subjective. And that's another thing. Consumers do not have to be rational. 
but they always are motivated. Now, we can argue about whether or not enjoying the whole Kardashian-Jenner brand, whether that is a rational decision to make. But again, that is a subjective value that each and every one of us can have a different opinion about. What is not debatable is that the consumers of the Kylie Jenner brand are motivated, just as any consumer is motivated. Again, think about a dumb... Every single one of us can think of a stupid purchase, or at least not a stupid purchase, a purchase that in the past that we look back and regret and think, gosh, I wish I had that one to do over again. Maybe you wish you hadn't bought that new car or whatever it might be. It doesn't even matter what it is. The point is, when you bought it at the time, you had a motivation to buy said stupid car or whatever it might be. Later on, your motivations changed, your values changed, and you could say, boy, that was kind of irrational in retrospect. But again, you're now arguing with your own self at different points in your life about what is and is not rational. So who therefore is going to be the central authority to decide what is and is not rational? I don't believe that that's possible. But what we can do is allow people to have power over their own lives and their own property. That's what we can do. So if you want to get annoyed at somebody for the fact that Kylie Jenner is going to be the world's youngest billionaire, blame the consumers. Don't blame her. Blame the people who are motivated in their purchasing decisions, if not rational. Just as this whole idea of who or what is self-made is, to me, kind of a pointless distinction in the free market, so... Is, the, is this constant labeling of things as big or small. The best example is just broadly small business versus big business. See, anything that's labeled as big, whether it's big oil, big pharma, big tobacco, or even big government, to be quite honest, to take the sort of libertarian view of it, everything that's big is labeled as bad. So... To me, why, why is something that's big automatically bad? If you think about it, every, you know, Microsoft and Apple are two of the biggest companies that in, in America, in the world, both were famously started out of a garage, right? So at what point did Apple cross over or Microsoft cross over into being small, from being small into being big? What's the line? And frankly, if there really is, there isn't a line, but even if there were, wouldn't it be just totally arbitrary? To me, the important distinction is, do you or your company have access to the United States Treasury or a congressman's ear, or don't you? Those are the real questions, or at the state level, the local level, whatever it is. The point is, are you part of the legal privilege that allows you to take money in the form of subsidies from other people, that sort of thing? Are you in the position to use your legal privilege to pass laws that are to your advantage and, and to your competitors' disadvantage? To me, that is the key distinction. Because no matter how big somebody personally gets wealth-wise, or no matter how big a business gets, there's really nothing they can do to me if they don't have the behemoth of the federal government or the state government 
or just the power of local authorities behind them to mess up my life. And when you think about it, isn't it kind of amusing how selective most of these people are when it comes to, hey, support small business (laughs) and what they think that a mom and pop type operation should be producing. For instance, it seems like somehow instinctively all these people realize that a smartphone company that had 10 employees probably would not work, but somehow big business is automatically bad. I I just don't understand this. And in fact, the ultimate irony is, is these people think that we need a big government and big all intrusive government and all powerful government to be able to regulate the big business. Kind of an irony there, because it seems to me that the big the big government has the legal privilege and the ultimate power. The reality is the true distinction is that between the market entrepreneur and the political entrepreneur. You see, if you're a pure market entrepreneur, like my sister-in-law is with her dance studio, shout out to Como Dance, she has to please consumers. She has to please dance moms and dads and the kids themselves. Those are directly the people that she has to deal with every single day. And if they don't like what she's putting out, guess what? They get to go across town to what to several other dance studios that are in town. There are plenty of options out there. So she has to bust her butt every single day to make her business work. She's a market entrepreneur because she has to please consumers. Now let's contrast that with what I would call a political entrepreneur. Somebody who does not have to to, to please consumers. Imagine if my sister-in-law were propped up by government subsidies. The fact that, so she didn't have to please her consumers. She was going to get her stipend every single month, no matter how many happy customers came through her doors or not. Then, the people she has to please are not her consumers, not her customers. No, she has to please the people who are giving her her subsidy, her stipend, her whatever it is, her grant, whatever you want to call it. Those, then, are the people that you're trying to to please. Whoever's giving you the money is who you're going to have to please. So, therefore, do we want people... Do we want market entrepreneurs who are trying to please us in our constantly evolving tastes, or do we want them to please a-holes in Washington, D.C.? You tell me. And I call them a-holes, but really, whether they're a-holes or not is really not the point. The point is, if if you don't have to please people who don't have to put their own money on the line in the form of being a customer or being a a financier or whatever it is, then what you have is something called moral hazard. When the people who are acting do not bear the consequences of their actions. In other words, they have zero skin in the game. The consequences do not directly affect them. That is moral hazard, and it's a gigantic problem that is endemic to government. Finally... Now that we're off the Kylie Jenner and Kardashian topic, I want to talk about boobs. And to ease that transition, let's hear a little musical number. We saw your boobs. We saw your boobs. In the movie that we saw, we saw your boobs. 
Meryl Streep, we saw your boobs in Silkwood. Naomi Watson, Mulholland Drive. Angelina Jolie, we saw your boobs in Gia. They made us feel excited and alive. And Hathaway, we saw your boobs in Brokeback Mountain. Halle Berry, we saw them in Monsters Ball. Nicole Kidman and Eyes Wide Shut, Marissa Tomei and the Wrestler Butt. We haven't seen Jennifer Lawrence's boobs at all. We saw your boobs. We saw your boobs. In the movie that we saw, we saw your boobs. Kristen Stewart, we saw your boobs in On the Road. And in Monster, we saw Charlize Theron's. Helen Hunt, we saw them in the sessions. And Scarlett Johansson, we saw them on our phones. Jessica Chastain, we saw your boobs in Lawless. Jodie Foster in The Accused. Hillary Swank in Boys Don't Cry. Penelope Cruz in Vanilla Sky. And Kate Winslet in Heavenly Creatures and Jude. And Hamlet and Titanic. And Iris and Little Children. And The Reader. And whatever you're shooting right now. We saw your boobs. We saw your boobs. Ladies and gentlemen, the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. We saw your boobs. 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 Now, if you recall that Seth MacFarlane performance from the 2013 Oscars, you'll recall that a lot of the ladies in attendance were none too amused with the We Saw Your Boobs song. Not, not very amused at all. At the time, I sort of thought, well, gee, I mean, we did see your boobs. It's kind of observational and funny when you think about it. I, it, I, I was also struck by the amount of ladies that in the audience, my goodness, we have seen all their boobs. Now, I'm sort of a, of a couple minds on this, especially here in 2018 in light of Mr. Harvey Weinstein, right? Now I can kind of understand why they were a little uncomfortable with that song five years later. I didn't realize this whole bizarre Weinstein, you know, culture existed in Hollywood, quite frankly, back in my naive days of my early 30s. But it seems to me that, like, again, sorry, let me back up. I'm of two minds on this. On one thing, they're just boobs. Who cares, right? I, I'm not that uptight when it comes to skin and just the nipple or whatever. I, I don't know, whatever. Like, for instance, I'm not a Puritan about the whole thing. I'm not saying just because I've seen your boobs on screen, that really makes a big deal. That's a big deal to be one way or the other. However, on the other hand, again, in light of the Weinstein stuff, it feels weird that almost all these chicks are made to take off their their tops on film. And to me, it's always it has always felt a little unnecessary and somewhat exploitative, especially the love scenes where, why can't we just, like, okay, these people are, are having sex and that's part of the storyline or whatever. Great. Show them get into bed and then pan over to the window like we used to do in the 50s when, you know, the... Uh, the the wind would be blowing out, blowing the shutters and the curtain out the window. That was fine with me. Did it? Was anybody like confused by that storytelling? Does anybody need like young actresses to feel like, hey, you have to take off your top or else get to the back of the line, sweetie? That part does feel a little weird. So I just wanted to point that out as we transition yet into yet another boob story. <laughs> so. I also just remember when I, if you've listened to my podcast for a while, 
You'll know I did a previous episode sort of decrying the unnatural state of social media interactions, particularly with strangers. Well, by golly, I failed to take my own advice today and got into a long sort of battle. Not even battle. Well, let's call it a battle with this guy on the internet who it seemed to me was just arguing for the sake of arguing. It was, a, it was a very silly sort of breastfeeding in public debate. And this person was not even hearing what I was trying to say. So I'll try to, I'll try to lay it on you. My point was, as usual, he called me a, uh, a what, a naive utopian for this pers- perspective? Well, tell me if you think I'm a utopian for saying this. I was just pointing out that as far as breastfeeding and just bare breasts in general... It seems to me that there are topless beaches, you know, within miles of churches that certainly would uh, look down upon that sort of thing and also certainly would not allow topless people in their church walls. And my point was, is despite these obvious differences in values, which are subjective, these two entities are able to exist essentially side by side in peace. And without really any conflict, maybe some scant looks every once in a while or some, oh, look at those people. Well, people are entitled to their thoughts and their words. I'm more worried about violence and that sort of thing. And again, it just seems to me when one person has their property, their house, their church, their beach, whatever it might be, and they're able to sort of do what they want to do, and they, lay, they let everybody else around them, their neighbors and those people, sort of leave themselves alone too. We have a much better society for it. And then if you're going to talk about norms and that sort of thing, again, I feel like norms are the sort of thing. Uh, people, again, if you're into the running around with your top off all day, there's a good chance that you're going to sort of cloister and live with other like-minded, boob-flopping people, right? But if you're uptight and want to, you know, cover every square inch of your body for whatever reason, and that's your values, again, you're going to tend to live in cluster, cloister, cluster with those sorts of people too. This is, this is natural. This is how human beings behave. And if it bothers you because, hey, you want everybody to, to live to your values, well, maybe you're the one with the problem. How's that for a closing thought? All right. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you again next time on the Everybody Trades Podcast. Wait. I think I understand the symbolism of the mirror. The Walmart is us. Yeah. You see, boys, if we like our small town charm more than the big corporate bullies, we all have to be willing to pay a little bit more. Do you understand? Yeah. Let's all go shop at Jim's Drug down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not make that mistake again. Yeah, let's go shop over at True Value. Let's go!